Welcome to the Good Fight Radio Show, a program dedicated to bringing you vital and uncompromised truths that you won't hear in the mainstream media, discussing contemporary issues in light of the Bible and how these issues relate to family, culture, and the church. The heart of this show is to glorify Jesus Christ and expose the works of darkness as he is commanded in Ephesians 5.11. Now here's your host, Good Fight Ministries' own Chad Davidson. Welcome back to the Good Fight Radio Show. I'm your host, Chad Davidson of Good Fight Ministries. And with me, as always, is the president and founder of Good Fight Ministries and pastor of Blessed Hope Chapel in Simi Valley, California, Pastor Joe Schimmel. How are we doing today? Doing great. Excited about responding to this uh, question from our pre-trib brethren, man. <laughs> amen, amen. And yes, I would say uh, this is it's a really important topic. And what I think is really cool is that you guys are hearing this the day before are racing through Revelation premiere, which is happening tomorrow at 5 p.m. Pacific Standard Time on the Good Fight Ministries YouTube channel, you're going to see Joe, with the Lord's help, go all the way through the book of Revelation in one hour. So we're, we are excited to give that out to you guys, and I hope you guys will be completely blessed by it. And we thought it'd be great to already answer a question, probably, I would say, and, and debating with those who are from the pre-trib camp, this is one that they believe is such a stumper. And that's not just people online who you could be going, hey, this is what the scripture said. There's no verse, da 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 There's not a single verse that teaches a pre-trib rapture. I mean, anywhere in scripture. Okay, 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 but this question right here. And so I want to read from probably, I'd say, the leading scholar on the subject when it comes to... pre-trib scholar. The yeah. leading pre-trib scholar on the subject, Dr. Thomas ice. This is what he has to say. A problem generated by the viewpoint of premillennial post-tribulationism, which is what we hold on to, is as follows. Who will populate the millennium with mortals if the rapture occurs in association with the second coming? He says, this is a problem that has never been answered by any post-tribulationist. In fact, very few post-tribulationists even attempt to answer the problem. Instead, most ignore it. Now, before I even let Joe get into this right here, I just want you to know, Joe's answered this a number of times. He definitely doesn't ignore it. In fact, we have multiple links on here. Not only has he answered it in short form during teachings on a random Wednesday night and so forth, but he also, we have an entire one hour and 17 minute long teaching on left behind or led astray that you can check out right now. Tony will put the link in the description. Or after the show. <laughs> or, yeah, well, Tony will put it. Yeah, try to listen to this whole show first because we're going to give you the Reader's Digest version, which is good too because this will be a time where you can just address this as much as you want right here for a half hour. You don't have to worry about any church, you know, because that was a Wednesday night service and so forth. So you're going to be able to address this. And I think it's really, really important because I, I maybe, maybe you differ from me, but the people I've talked to online, not only what Thomas Ice is saying— but this is what I've heard. This is the, a question that, boom, is thrown at you as like a stumper. Yeah, no, it's, uh, it's a good question. For if you're, I'll do a pre-tribulation rapture view, uh, which I find kind of interesting, though. To me, to ask this question personally shows the weakness of their view because they don't have any. We offered $10,000 for years and years and years and years. Uh, if you could just give one clear Bible verse that clearly teaches just any just a verse that clearly says the rapture will take place before the tribulation. And nobody was able to collect it, of course. In fact, 
I had one guy that was very earnest about it. And when I showed him what was wrong with his interpretation of a verse, he admitted, yeah, he goes, I know it's not teaching pre-trib rapture. He goes, I just was trying to collect the money. Actually, I'm a post-tribber. You know, <laughs> I'm like, what? <laughs> so anyway, but it's interesting because we have all these clear scriptures that just emphatically declare that Christ is coming at the second coming, that second coming he comes, that he's coming to deliver the saints at the second coming. I mean, just straight out scriptures like Second Thessalonians chapter 1, where Paul says, you know, to, for the church at Thessalonica, definitely a letter to the churches, right? To the church at Thessalonica, that they're to rest from their persecution, which is a, interesting, the word rest, there's a noun in the Greek. He says, when the Lord Jesus Christ, when do they get to rest? According to pre-tribbers, it would be seven years before he comes with his mighty angels of flaming fire. It'll be a secret coming pre-trib. But he says, no, he says, rest with us when the Lord Jesus Christ is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire to take vengeance on those who dwell upon the earth. Uh, and it says, on the same day he comes to be glorified in the saints. So the rest that we get from persecution, Paul states, is at the second coming with comes as mighty angels of flaming fire to bring destruction to the, to the, to the earth. And that's clearly the second coming. So he tells us when our rest is. There's, we have just clear scriptures. Now, can you imagine if a pre-tribber was able to show me a verse? I'd have to give up 10,000 bucks. That said, literally, not that I even had 10,000 bucks. It was a church offer, you know. But uh, uh, if the pre-tribber was able to show me, rest with us from your persecution, when Jesus Christ comes back seven years before he comes back with his mighty angels of flaming fire to take vengeance on earth, then we would lose. But guess what? And we'd admit it. Can they admit, oh, actually, it puts it right there, though, not seven years earlier. No, because a lot of people don't want to give up the pre-tribulation view because they don't want to face tribulation. They don't want to face persecution. I'm not saying that's the motive of everyone. A lot of people just were taught it and what have you. But uh, the argument, we have just clear scriptures. Jesus says over and over again that we'll be resurrected on the last day says that a three or four times in John chapter 6 alone. And the, on the last day, and the dead in Christ rise first. So if he, those who are in him, he says, are raised on the last day, not seven years before the last day. And he puts the last day on the day of judgment when he talks about uh, that he has one that would judge you on the last day. Uh, we, we have just clear scriptures where we're told that he comes back on the day of the Lord and that that's when we get our deliverance on the day of the Lord. Yet there's many scriptures that talk about Elijah will come before the day of the Lord. Ooh, that's tribulation period. It comes before the day of the Lord, so the day of the Lord can't be before Elijah, pre-trib, or the Antichrist and the false, the fallen away. The Antichrist come before the day of Christ. Or we have, uh, there'll be pillars of smoke and, you know, the moon will turn to blood and the, uh, the sun will give its light before the great and terrible day of the Lord. So the tribulation events are before the day of the Lord, yet the rapture is put on the day of the Lord. Or they'll be saying peace and safety, tribulation period. Then sudden destruction will come upon them. And he talks about the day of the Lord. You know, over and over again, we have these clear scriptures or the scriptures at the last trumpet. Paul says the rapture will take place, place at the last trumpet. You know, the last trumpet in the book of Revelation, and, the, and that's when the saints are rewarded. It's very clear. It's not a plague of grasshoppers. It's the second coming of the Lord, but the kingdoms of this world become the kingdom of Christ at the end of the tribulation. Or not just the last trumpet, the first resurrection. I mean, the first resurrection, Jesus said he's the first fruits of our resurrection. Paul did, 1 Corinthians 15. So he's the first fruits of our res the resurrection. However, he goes on to talk about how, and we, the rest of us, at his coming. Well, guess what? When you go to Revelation chapter 20, those who'd been beheaded because they didn't take the mark of the beast and so forth, and others are resurrected at Christ's second coming, chapter 19. The effect of that is the resurrection of those who refuse to take the mark of the beast. And it says, this is the first resurrection. What? How is that the first resurrection? If there was a preacher rapture seven years earlier, this would be the second resurrection. So we just have so many clear scriptures. So I, I just think it's kind of just interesting that the best thing to come up with is, well, how do you get natural bodies in the millennium? And we'll address that. Uh, 
And keep in mind, and I want to explain their argument a little bit in more, a little more detail than Thomas Ice does there, because it actually uh, becomes somewhat of an interesting argument. If there wasn't a clear answer to it, it would seem like a sorry. It would seem like a, a very good, a very good argument. But there's a, there's slam dunk answers to it. So the idea is that hey, if Christ comes and believers are resurrected, who are dead in Christ, and then those who are alive are caught up at the end of the tribulation, which Paul clearly puts it at the end in First Thessalonians four and five. He's talking about this event. Let's read in chapter five. Keep reading. If that's the case, uh, and we're all resurrected, and those with the mark of the beast are damned, and they're thrown into Hades, waiting the great white throne judgment, and then sent to the lake of fire, where's the natural bodies that go into the millennium and repopulate the earth as we're reigning with Christ on in, uh, in, in Jerusalem? Where do those natural bodies come from? Because you've got the damned, and then you've got the resurrected, and where do you get these natural bodies? But if there's a pre-trib rapture, then people get saved during the tribulation period, and then Christ comes back at the second coming, and there's no resurrection for those believers then, and then they go into the tribulation period and repopulate the earth. That's the argument. Uh, now, I want to say this. There are some cracks at that that have been taken by some of the top uh, post-tribulationist expositors, teachers, and what have, have you, that I believe are lacking. I'll acknowledge that. Uh, Stan Gundry, who's written some of the best books on the post-trib view, he was a professor not far from us in Santa Barbara, uh, of Westmont Bible College of New Testament Greek and the New Testament. And uh, Stan Gundry wrote uh, The Church in the Tribulation. He wrote also called First the Antichrist against the pre-trib pro post-trib view. And he did a lot of good work on those issues. However, his viewpoint, along with Douglas Moo, and Douglas Moo is a, a, a great expositor, disagree with his Calvinism, but he's very sound in a lot of areas, especially on this issue of post-tribulationism. Both of them make the argument that, well, the sheep and the goats judgment is perhaps at the end of the millennium, or at the end of the millennium. Therefore, their natural bodies go into the millennium, the goats go into the millennium, and they're not judged actually until after the millennium when the Father reigns fire on, and so forth. Uh, and that doesn't actually happen at Christ's second coming. That's one argument that's used. I don't use that argument. I don't think that's uh, biblical. The reason I don't is because when you go to Matthew 24, uh, Jesus is answering the question about his coming. And then when you go to chapter 25, verse 31, when he talks about the sheep and goat judgment, he says, it'll be like this in the coming of the Son of Man. He'll come and he'll judge the nations. So it connects it to his return. So I disagree with that. Uh, Douglas Moo uh, also, I should say, Gun Moo and Gundry both use that argument. Gundry also uses the argument, the 144,000, uh, that they're sealed just so they don't partake of wrath but that they will go into the millennial period in natural bodies because they're not saved until the end. Uh, and, you know, that I don't, I'm not comfortable with that either because it calls them servants of God. It mentions in chapter 7 they're servants of God. In chapter 14 it calls them redeemed. It states that they'll be redeemed. Now some could argue they're not redeemed until later and they're a picture of, of Israel and what have you. And I, I believe God remakes that kind of argument. I'm not comfortable with it because to me it's not clear enough. And I like clarity on issues as much as I can get clarity on issues. But I do believe there's much clarity on this issue. I believe we can know exactly who populates the millennium in natural bodies, even though there is a judgment of the wicked who have the mark of the beast, and there is, and believers are resurrected, and we are reigning with Christ, so we're not reproducing. We're not reproducing, and guess what? Those that went to Hades, to wait, 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 wait and throw judgment, wait, sense, lake, fire, they're not reproducing. How do you get these people 
there. Well, I think that's really clear. In fact, check this out. In Zechariah, in Zechariah chapter 12, and you can listen or you can look at it in your Bible, your, your iPhone, but we read this in verses 2 through 4. And it, almost all futurists understand this is still future. Preterists can't really deal with Zechariah 12 and 14 because this event has not happened yet. <laughs> uh, but pre-tribbers and post-tribbers and mid-tribbers all agree this is still future for the most part. Uh, Behold, I am going to make Jerusalem a cup that causes reeling to all the peoples around. When the siege is against Jerusalem, it will also be against Judah. It will come about in that day that I will make Jerusalem a heavy stone for all the peoples. All who lift it will be severely injured, which is interesting when you look at just the history of Israel since they've become a nation again. uh, You mess with Israel, they even got something called the Samson Project where everybody gets annihilated around them if they start getting annihilated with nukes and they just send them off. And he says, it'll come about on that day that I will make Jerusalem this, this heavy stone and you'll be injured, right? He goes, all the nations of the earth will be gathered against it. That hasn't happened yet. That's future. In that day, declares the Lord, I will strike every horse with bewilderment and his rider with madness. But I will watch over the house of Judah while I strike every horse and the peoples with blindness using uh, ancient language to show future destruction. And then he talks about, then he talks about what's going to happen. Then he comes to protect his people. And then he comes back. And Jesus said, you won't see me again until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. But there's Jews who rejected the Antichrist. They're crying out to the Lord to save them. They want their Messiah to come. And then guess what? Surprise, he does come. But they're like, wow, that's the one we pierced. Just like Joseph's brethren. Joseph's a picture rejected by his brothers, thrown in a pit, given to the Gentiles, gives bread to the world, just what Jesus did for all of us Gentiles. Then Joseph reveals himself to his brethren. And Joseph's even weeping and bawling as he reveals himself. And they're just blown away. When Jesus comes back, the, those, the Jews who pierced him will then recognize him as their Messiah. But keep in mind, when does it happen? Jesus said, immediately after the tribulation of those days, and pre-tribbers agree, Jesus is talking about at the end of the tribulation, this happens at the end of the tribulation, immediately after the tribulations of those days, the sun will be dark and we will not give us light, the powers of heaven will be shaken, there will be sound of a great trumpet, and uh, you know, he'll send his angels to gather his elect from one and of heaven to the other, and so forth. But he says, immediately after the tribulation, he says the tribes of the earth will mourn. People recognize they are under judgment. But there'll be a particular nation that's mourning for another reason, those who are repentant, because they're seeing the one that they pierced. Our Messiah has come to save us, but he's the one that we pierced. If you could read verses 8 through 14, it would be great, Jeff. Yeah, in that, in that day, the Lord will defend the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and the one who is feeble among them in that day will be like David, and the house of David will be like God like the angel of the Lord before them. And in that day, I will set about to destroy all the nations that come against Jerusalem. I will pour out on the house of David and on the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and of supplication, so that they will look on me whom they have pierced, and they will mourn for him as one mourns for an only son, and they will weep bitterly over him like the bitter weeping over a firstborn. In that day, there will be great mourning in Jerusalem, like the mourning of Hadramon, In the plain of Megiddo, the land will mourn every family by itself, the family of the house of David by itself, and their wives by themselves, and the family of the house of Nathan by itself, and their wives by themselves, the family of the house of Levi by itself, and their wives by themselves, the family of the Shimeites by itself, and their wives by themselves, all the families that remain, every family by itself, and their wives by themselves. Now, it's important to understand, this takes place... We're already caught up to meet the Lord in the air. 
he's like like lightning shining coming from the east to west. Boom, we're caught up. Uh, we meet him in the air. He descends. And when he comes back, puts his feet on the Mount of Olives, as we see in chapter 14, they see the one that they pierced. And they begin to weep. They missed the rapture. They weren't, they weren't trusting Christ's blood. They weren't cleansed from their sins yet. How do we know they weren't cleansed yet? Because right after this, it's after this point where they see the one that they pierced, they begin to bawl. They're crying because they're in their old bodies still. They're not in these new resurrected bodies that probably don't have tear ducts, right? We don't know exactly how that works, but we know one day all tears will be wiped away. But we know this, they're bawling because they can't believe, wow, this is the one we rejected. He's our Messiah. And if you want to know what they're going to say in more detail, read Isaiah 53. Because it says, yeah. we esteemed him stricken of God. You know, we thought God was against him, basically. All of us, like sheep, went astray, but he laid, the Lord laid the iniquity of us all upon him. He was cut off from the land of living. They're going to basically have a national repentance and recognize their Messiah, but they're not yet cleansed. They're not yet forgiven. They're coming to repentance. A spirit of supplication is upon them, bringing them the weight of their sins upon them. They're crying out for the Messiah. They see the one that is pierced. We know they're not cleansed because guess what? Then he leads them into cleansing. In chapter 13, verse 1, it says, In that day a fountain will be opened for the house of David and for the inhabitants of Jerusalem for sin and for impurity. It will come about in that day, declares the Lord of hosts, that I will cut off the names of the idols from the land, and they will no longer be remembered. And I will also remove the prophets and the unclean spirit from the land because they've repented, they've been cleansed. But this is subsequent, their, their cleansing is subsequent to uh, their salvation experiences subsequent to them seeing the one they pierced. So we come back in resurrected bodies. They're now being cleansed from their sins. The fountain, Jesus is the ultimate fountain of cleansing for them. He opens up his heart to them and forgives them. They, they, they turn to him for forgiveness. Uh, and it's beautiful. And guess what? They don't, have, they don't have resurrected bodies now. They have natural bodies. And now they're going into the millennium with natural bodies. And now you have men and women, many of them hopefully, right? going into the millennial period with natural bodies, and now they are what? Reproducing. And the scriptures tell us that their children, uh, they'll live to, if if they die at 100 years of age, they'll be considered cursed because it'll be a, a kind of a repeat or a, a, you know, kind of a, there'll be a renewal where it become like God of the Eden yeah, on the earth. It'll be quite beautiful. And the environment will be such that's conducive of longer life. And still their immortal bodies, they'll die young. At 100 years old, that would be young. That's pretty crazy when you think about it. But we won't die at all because we'll be in our resurrected bodies with Christ. So already we see natural, but that's not it. That's just the half the story. That's not how we, that's not, that's just half the, we're not even half the bodies, but one segment of the bodies. We also have Gentiles that go into the millennial period. And that's in Zechariah chapter 14. If you want the answer to this, guys, if this, this question ever comes up, just take people to Zechariah 12. Got Jewish natural bodies in the millennium. Take them to Zechariah chapter 14. You have Gentile natural bodies in the millennium, all reproducing, uh, and therefore the, their descendants can be there at the time when Satan is let loose at the end of the thousand years and be part of a revolt against New Jerusalem. Against Jerusalem. In fact, we see the buildup to that, and we see great clarification. That's why, you know, if, if you're pre-trib and you want to use that argument, I, I don't think you should use it anymore because I can't, don't see how you could use it in good conscience once you see these scriptures. Look at Zechariah 14, a couple chapters later. Or uh, we were just in chapter 13, actually, now chapter 14, the next chapter. Behold, a day is coming for the Lord when the spoil taken from you will be divided among you. For I will gather all nations against Jerusalem to the battle. And that's, of course, Armageddon. He just mentioned Megiddo in chapter 12. And the city will be captured. The houses plundered. The women ravished. And half the city exiled. But the rest of the people will not be cut off from the city. 
Then in verses 3 and 4, we read, Then the Lord will go forth and fight against those nations as when he fights on the day of battle. In that day, his feet will stand on the Mount of Olives. This has not yet happened. This is future. Uh, his feet are going to stand on the Mount of Olives, which is kind of interesting. When Jesus gave the Olive Discourse, <laughs> talked all about the end times. When he ascended, he ascended from the Mount of Olives. And Jesus, uh, the angel stood by and said, This same Jesus that you saw with your eyes, it's a visible coming that went up into the cloud, will come in like manner back again. Because yeah, Jesus of is Yahweh, by the way. Amen. He's <laughs> Yahweh. Right. It's a quotation from the Old Testament yeah. in the news of Yahweh. Amen, Chad. Then the Lord will go forth and fight against those nations, right? And then it says that when he go, comes uh, in that day, his feet will stand on the Mount of Olives, which is in front of Jerusalem on the east, and, on, and the Mount of Olives will be split in its middle from the east to the west by a very large valley, so that half of the mountain will mo be moved toward the north and the other half toward the south. It goes down, there's going to be great fishing, water comes forth from there, uh, goes into the Dead Sea, makes it living, there's fishing that'll be there. That'll be just amazing. A lot of fish it mentions. Some people are buying land right around that right now because they want fishing rights there. But I don't know if those... I don't know, what's I don't gonna, know if those certificates are going to work. Make sure you're <laughs> saved or you're not going to be there. It'll be yeah. somewhere else. Verses six through, 6 through 8, it'll be up to Jesus anyway. In verses 6 through 8, it says, In that day there will be no light. The luminaries will dwindle. Sound familiar? Uh, for it will be a unique day, which is known to the Lord neither day nor night. But it will come about that at the evening there will be light. And in that day, living waters will flow out of Jerusalem, half of them toward the eastern sea and the other half toward the western sea. It will be in, uh, in summer as well as winter. Now, this is very interesting. Now, watch verse 12. Now, this will be the plague which the Lord will strike all the peoples uh, who have gone to war against Jerusalem. Their flesh will not, I'm sorry, their flesh will rot, some translations be consumed, while they stand on their feet. Is, that's amazing, guys. And their eyes will be consumed or rot in their sockets, and their tongue will, will be consumed or rot in their mouths. So while they're standing, they'll be just basically vaporized. Their flesh will be vaporized, which we have weapons that can do that now, like the neutron bomb, boom, with the intense amount of heat. But this sounds like this will come from the Lord. It also says there'll be a panic among the nations, and they'll, they'll, they'll shoot their weapons at one another. So it could be that, that, that kind of the nuclear holocaust kind of thing as well. It's not the first time going on there. either that that's happened with the ambushes. The enemies start yeah, outing themselves. And those, yeah. are, those are many pictures of the day of the Lord. That's right, yep. Chad. They're pictures of the day of the Lord. Verses 16, 16 through 19, that's very important. Because all these nations that come up against him, uh, our pre-trib brethren want us to believe that they just are all damned. And they all go to Hades. They all have the mark of the beast. They're damned and and the saints are raptured. So where's the natural bodies? Well, we just saw natural bodies come in the millennium through the Jews in chapter 12. But look at this, verse 16. Then it will come about that any who are left, listen, there's leftovers from those nations. The people that were consumed, there's people that are left over. Well, wait a minute, how are they left? Well, so far that doesn't matter. We'll get to that. But they're left. There's people that are left. Of all the nations that went against Jerusalem will go up from year to year to worship the king, the Lord of hosts, to celebrate the Feast of Booths. So they'll be basically celebrating the Feast of Tabernacles or the Feast of Booths. So what's going on there? Well, well they're righteous though. Hmm, not necessarily. Look at this, verse 17. And it will be that whichever of the families of the earth does not go up to Jerusalem to worship the king, the Lord of hosts, there will be no rain on them. So these obviously aren't resurrected believers. Oh, I'm not going to follow the Lord anymore. In a resurrected body? No. Okay, that's not what he's talking about. Talk about those who are left from the nations that uh, went up against the Lord. And these people obviously didn't experience the rapture. Obviously, they weren't among the Jews that went in the millennial period. It's from the other nations. But there'll be people from the nations that the United States, China, 
former Soviet Union, Russia, Muslim nations. There'll be people that are left over um, from those wicked nations that are now invited to go up to Jerusalem where Jesus is reigning with his, with his, his, his church and they, to go up with Feast of Booths to worship him. If they don't do that, he says, there'll be no rain on them. Verse 18, it goes on to say, if the family of Egypt does not go up to enter, then no rain will fall on them. It will be the plague with which the Lord smites the nations who do not go up to celebrate the Feast of Booths. Now, this is interesting. He keeps mentioning the Feast of Tabernacles or the Feast of Booths. Look what he says in verse 19. This will be the punishment of Egypt and the punishment of all the nations who do not go up to celebrate the feast. So this is very important, the Feast of Tabernacles he's talking about. So this makes it really clear that you'd only have Jews that go into the millennium with natural bodies that repopulate. You have Gentiles that are now there in natural bodies repopulating with natural bodies the, the millennial kingdom. And these folks are not reigning with Christ as we are for a thousand years. They're not in Jerusalem. They're invited to go up. Who are these people? Well, I think it's interesting. What's the Feast of Tabernacles? What's it a celebration of? It was a celebration of leaving Egypt as slaves and going to the promised land, right? And then they would celebrate that because they'd get in these tents with their, their dad would say, hey, boys, gals, whatever, let's get in tents and, and celebrate and uh, and tell them a story about how they fled from Egypt and God brought them in the promised land. It's a picture of going to the promised land. And it's interesting, he mentions Egypt. They're leaving Egypt to go where? To the kingdom. The promised land is a picture of the kingdom of Christ. Now it's even more literal because they're actually celebrating this feast and they're actually saying, hey, we can be redeemed and we can go to the promised land or we can go to Jerusalem where Christ is reigning with, with the church and resurrected bodies. And that might seem like, that's kind of strange. I mean, there could be resurrected bodies with non-resurrected bodies. Well, that already happened. Jesus ministered to his disciples for a number of weeks in a resurrected body. But we'll be in resurrected bodies. They can come up if they refuse and say, no, I want to do my own thing and, and so forth. I don't want to do that. I don't want to follow the Lord. I want to do my own thing. Well, then they don't get rain. And since, since it's a return to an agrarian society and it's lush, it's like the Garden of Eden, all of a sudden, before you know it, your nation or your people, your area is turning into a desert again. And a lot of people are going to be ticked off. So at the end of that thousand years, Satan is let loose for a short time. And like the sand of the sea, he's able to lead a huge revolt. And that would be the descendants of who knows how many of the Jews that went in with natural bodies and the descendants of these folks, or who knows how long they'll be living. Maybe some of these, some of these same folks are still alive, like Methuselah, you know, uh, that as far as age goes, right? We don't know exactly how that's going to happen. So the question arises, though, and we don't even have to answer this question. But I, I think we can answer it anyway, because we already proved it. We've already got slam dunk. Chapter 12 is enough. Now we got chapter 14. Chapter 14 is enough, but we have chapter 12. We have two witnesses, two clear witnesses that there's natural bodies in the millennium of people that are allowed to go in the millennial kingdom. So we know the Jews are allowed to go in the millennial kingdom with their natural bodies because after they see him, they pierce, they, they're cleansed, and they're able to go in the millennial period. Chapter 14, the question is, why is it that he allows certain people who are left over from the nations to go into the millennial period? That's a good question. And there's a really, I believe, a good answer. When they were going to the promised land, there were only certain people that were allowed to go to the promised land because Moses hit the rock. The people were murmuring. They complained against the Lord. They lost their opportunity to go into the promised land. They were slain in the wilderness a number of different times. But there were certain people that were allowed to go into the promised land. Remember who those were, Chad? Yep. Anyone us? under 20. Anyone under 20. 
All the teenagers and younger can go in the promised land. They weren't held accountable for the sins of their parents. And I personally believe that when the mark of the beast is issued out, you're not, God's not going to throw five, six, seven, eight-year-olds into, into, into Hades to be tormented uh, because I don't believe they're going to probably be issuing the mark of the beast to kids. You know, little kids are not going to be flashing the mark of the beast to buy or sell uh, and do banking and, and what have you. It makes a lot of sense that uh, when God judges the nations, the kids will have an opportunity now to choose Christ or not, and they'll go, the, the Gentile kids, into the millennial period, and then they'll be tested just as we are tested now. So I think that all makes this perfect sense. It's like a hand in a glove, and guess what? That argument is the weak argument because it's got a great answer, and it's not an argument at all. Yeah, so much uh, that uh, post-tribulations don't attempt to answer it, ignore it. So much it. for that, yeah. So much for that statement, and the fact is it's been answered, debunked, and you can join us tomorrow when we dig into a race through Revelation. Every chapter in an hour. Every chapter Lord, in us. one hour. God bless. You've been listening to the Good Fight Radio Show brought to you by Good Fight Ministries. If you're blessed by this show and would like to partner with us, please consider visiting our Patreon page at patreon.com slash goodfight. Or you can write to us at P.O. Box 2202, Simi Valley, California, 93062. Or call us toll-free at 1-866-JC-TRUTH. That's 1-866-528-7884. We hope you'll tune in next time on the Good Fight Radio Show.